0: Hi, I'm Jared the Subway Guide, and this is my story. This
1: all began with Fogel's first TV spot with Subway in 2000.
0: So after working with Subway for four years, in 2004, Jared established the Jared Foundation. Russell Taylor quickly became Jared's right-hand man in the Jared Fogel Foundation. But soon enough,
2: Russell's dark sexual nature would come to light.
3: He is pleading guilty to conspiracy for receiving and distributing child pornography.
2: The foundation promised another $2 million to schools to fight childhood obesity, but between 2009 and 2013, not a single grant was ever given to any schools.
3: Finding out that your husband and the father of your children is a child predator is devastating.
2: After
0: listening to Jared talk, she would sit alone crying in a dark room for hours. To this day, he's worth around $4 million. This is my story. Ready to write yours?
1: Lights out, everybody.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out Podcast. I'm your host, Josh, and as always got my boys in the building we got austin yo what up mr mullet over here (laughs) and then behind the screens we got mr daniel what's up man
1: what's up everybody
0: so today we are covering a absolute real life monster and one that you probably know especially if you're a 90s kid you may have seen him on tv because he was subway's biggest star mr jared fogel And man, is his rise and fall one that, I don't know, that can be topped, honestly. I don't know how you go from basically humble beginnings to making millions of dollars as the face of a national food chain, and then everything just seems to go downhill from there, which is completely his fault, as you'll hear. And it's honestly very, very disturbing. We're talking about an individual that is a serious child sex predator. I mean this guy is I, I don't know. I, I there have a lot of feelings and thoughts about about him, and especially the sentence that this this man got, I don't think is quite fair for for the crimes that he committed. I think it should be far more years than what he got. But we'll get into that. Before we do, we have some exciting news to finally, after months and months and months of teasing you guys and mentioning in previous episodes that we've got this merch collection that works it is finally here you can now purchase our new cryptid collection i'm very very excited we have four different designs i'm actually wearing the windigo it's kind of hard to see we'll put some overlay because you can't really see too well as we're sitting down but we've got the windigo long sleeve which is really cool austin's got the black Shuck. The Black Shuck. Honestly, that's my favorite right yeah, there. I love so it. Good. Yeah, it's it's actually really cool. So the the guy that designed these for us is actually Daniel's longtime tattoo artist and, and buddy. Mm-hmm, that's true. Cody Hansen. Shout out Cody Hansen for hooking us up with these sweet designs. He These are all hand-drawn from his imagination, and he absolutely killed it. So, And you're wearing the... Mothman. Mothman. Okay. So we've got the Wendigo. We've got the Black Shuck. Mothman and Jersey Devil. And so it's two t-shirts, two long sleeves. They're now available at malheirmerch.com. They are pre-shrunk, which is really nice. The, the quality is a lot better than our past collections. I'm very happy with it, that it's very soft. And honestly, they the sizing runs a little bit big, I would say, like I'm wearing an XL, and I'm a pretty big guy. So just keep that in mind when you're ordering. But yeah, check it out, malheirmerch.com, available now, we ship worldwide. Go get them while they're available though because we are not going to be restocking this collection. It's Once it's sold out, it's sold out and we're on to the next one. So great way to support the show. We really appreciate everybody who's bought merch in the past and who's going to purchase something from the cryptic collection and let us know which design you like the most if you're watching on YouTube in the comment section or on Instagram. But another great and free way to support the show is just make sure you subscribe to us on YouTube. There's a ton of you that watch YouTube that aren't subscribed, so make sure you subscribe to us over there. But also head over to Spotify, hit that follow button for us, it does really help us out. Or if you're an Apple person, Apple Podcast works as well, make sure you're subscribed to us over there. But yeah, it's great ways to support the show. We're really excited about this merch collection. We worked very, very hard on it, so let us know your thoughts. But without further ado, let's dive into the absolutely dark story of Jared Fogel.
2: So health is really important to me. I know it's probably important to all of you as well. Uh, it's a very deeply human thing and it has to be personal. So Care of is there to help you find what works specifically for you. Care of is a subscription service that ships high quality personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month you go on the Care-of website, they hook you up with this quiz that you can take. It digs into your lifestyle and your health goals, and it gives you this kind of personalized, doctor-backed recommendation. You get a 30-day supply, and then if you feel like it's not really working for you, you can switch it up. You can try out some different supplements. Care-of makes taking your vitamins on the go this summer so convenient with individual little daily packs that are perfect for travel, Care/of's daily vitamin packs are made with plant-based compostable film to help limit the impact on the environment without compromising the quality or safety of their products, which is also nice. Personally, I've been taking B complex, which is for energy support. I do feel much better after I take them. I get a little boost in my energy, which is nice. I also take this specific focus blend that they made for me, which is also really nice. For 50% off your first care of order, go to takecareof.com and enter the code lightsout50. Again, let's go to takecareof.com and enter the code lightsout50. So
0: Jared Scott Fogle was born on August 23rd, 1977 in Indianapolis, Indiana. As a child, he was well-liked and good-natured, and he was raised in a typical all-American family. His mother, Adrian, was a teacher, and his father, Norman, was a doctor, and as far as anyone could tell, he had a very regular upbringing. But as he got a little older, he began spending hours in front of the TV playing video games in his living room. He rushed through family time, dinner, and homework just so he could get back to gaming. And while he gamed, he began obsessively snacking on food. His classmate, Katie Heath, went through middle school, high school, and two years of college with Jared. And she described him as a shy, smart, and nerdy loner when he was young. He was an outcast at an early age, and by middle school, he had started gaining a ton of weight. Katie said he was probably the heaviest person in their middle school, because by the time he was in high school, he was around 250 to 300 pounds. And in high school, he constantly had a target on his back, and he was bullied, and he always struggled to make friends. He became the kid that no one wanted to sit next to at the school cafeteria tables as they thought it would be social suicide if they did. And so Jared went through high school completely alone. In his book, Jared later wrote that he overate to compensate for his social awkwardness and he just loved the taste of food. But with all of his weight gain, he became more and more isolated. And by high school, he felt like food was his only friend. He graduated from North Central High School in 1995, and he later attended Indiana University. He had struggled with his weight for the last 15 years of his life. By college, Jared weighed around 425 pounds with a 60-inch belt size at 19 years old. He drank 15 cans of soda and consumed about 10,000 calories a day. He struggled with walking and finding enough clearance in between cars in the parking lots. He had to choose his classes depending on if he could fit into the chairs or not. On top of other health conditions, he also suffered from severe sleep apnea. So this made it pretty difficult for him to sleep, and he rarely got enough. So he would end up falling asleep on public benches. At one point, he fell asleep behind the wheel and actually crashed his car into a tree. This was when he finally felt like, you know what, maybe it's time to make a change in my life. He ended up living right next to a Subway sandwich shop in Bloomington. So he decided to try out his own custom diet that no dietitian would have ever approved of. Between 1998 and 1999, all he ate every day was a foot-long veggie sub, a six-inch turkey sub, and a bag of potato chips, as well as a diet soda. But he made sure to never eat more than 2,000 calories a day. And for Jared's size, this is what's called a starvation diet. He also began to exercise. And by 1999, he had dropped down to 180 pounds, which meant he had lost a total of 245 pounds in about one year. His story quickly made it to the college's publication, the Indiana Daily Student, in an article written by his former roommate, Ryan Coleman. And within days, he became a campus celebrity. Within months, his story began making its way to bigger news outlets like Men's Health, after graduating from Indiana University Bloomington in 2000, he worked in the revenue management department at American Trans Air, but his local fame would follow him, and to add to his happiness and success, Subway soon reached out and asked him to be a spokesperson. At first, he thought it would only be a small local broadcast commercial, but he had no idea how quickly he'd be shot into stardom. He soon signed a contract with Subway for $1.1 million a year, and his rise to fame was only just beginning. And throughout his career, he would be featured in 300 Subway commercials over a period of 15 years. Let's take a look at one of his earlier commercials. For years, I ate fried food and burgers that looked like this. And I looked like this. Then I found Subway restaurants. And I realized I can enjoy lots of great tasting food without lots of fat, like the tasty sweet onion chicken teriyaki sandwich, juicy chicken strips, veggies, and a delicious sweet onion sauce, all in freshly baked bread, which is five grams of fat. What have you got to lose? Later, big guy. Subway, eat fresh.
2: Wow. I love uh, two points, someone the people always use this because it's kind of foreboding that he's pulling off a mask yeah, right yeah that's kind of creepy but then too i love how it shows kind of our health at that time we thought like oh grams of fat is the problem not the fact that their bread is like sugar cake <laughs> yeah know? exactly like,
0: and it was fake for a while i'm pretty sure yeah it wasn't even like real bread until they finally after the most recent like relaunch of subway they said it's oh yeah it's actually all real
2: now yeah danny was saying the other day it was like in some countries it's not even deemed it wasn't legally bred they couldn't <laughs> even call it bread for that a long surprise. time
0: i just am like how is it that their motto is eat fresh when it ain't <laughs> fresh just, no it ain't fresh like other than and i'm pretty sure that all the veggies aren't even fresh either like i know they slice some of them but like i know for a fact their lettuce comes in a bag
2: Oh, for and sure. The, the
0: shredded lettuce is not... I've watched them open a bag and dump it into it. Oh, I'm like, definitely. that's not
2: fresh. And I mean, like, he's eating the turkey sandwiches. If you ever see that processed turkey... Yes. It's like slimy, slimy. jello, yeah. yeah.
0: Let's ask the, the former chef here. Would you categorize it as fresh food?
1: So, technically it is. Um, technically? Because all fresh means is that it was never frozen.
2: Uh, oh. Okay. So,
1: if it's bagged and processed... It's still technically fresh because it was never frozen. So, like, lettuce and all, and, all the, uh, and all that stuff, all the veggies, it's technically all fresh because it was never frozen. Uh, as far as the bread goes, it was an Irish court that uh, claimed, because of its uh, sugar content, that it was more akin to cake than actual bread. And there was a whole ruling with that. And, uh, yeah, we can, we can circle back to that later. But, yeah, technically Subway's food
0: so it's is just, fresh. So, okay, so that's kind of misleading but
1: technically it is fresh food on, yeah. pa- on, paper, on yeah, paper. There's a it's it's all about marketing. It's all about fast food marketing. Like for instance, one of my pet peeves in uh fast food marketing is like, you know how all McDonald's and Burger King they're all advertising their chicken sandwiches as crispy chicken sandwiches yeah. when in reality they're fried. Right. It's <laughs> yeah. just it's just clever words to get around the legislation to make the food seem more palpable to people. That makes sense.
0: Interesting. Okay. So Subway is is not lying to us per se but they're they're definitely choosing their words very carefully to right. to pull you in cuz i mean that, that that's that was the thing for me growing up is like you subway was like this healthy alternative for fast food which which i mean it's fairly healthy like you can make a fairly healthy sandwich and yeah. and also they have the salads and it's like i went through a keto kick where i would hit up the subway salads which nice. Yeah. Not, not the most tasty, <laughs> not, not even really a salad, to be honest with you, but, but it's, it's healthier than say burger and fries. Right. So I yeah. I guess I could see why it's kind of sort of this healthier restaurant. Yeah. Although I think it's like, if you wanted to do a, a sandwich shop tier list, I would put it kind of in the middle of the pack. What's right. your, what's your,
2: this is totally random, but what's your, what's your favorite like sub shop? Oh, that's a, like, I don't chain. really have a, a sub chain, but. When I, when I ever do, I usually do Jimmy John's. I love that. It's called like the Italian Midnight something. That's a good one, yeah. There's no way that's healthy for me because no. processed meat and a bunch of, you know. But that's uh, probably my favorite like franchise sandwich, I'd say. If you want to sponsor me, hit me up.
0: <laughs> I'd say for me, Jersey Mike's is is mine. I like Jersey, Jersey Mike's. Oh, Jersey Mike's hits. is really good. And, yeah. and I, I think they have, out of all of the fast food sandwich shops, have the best quality meat, too i i appreciate that they cut it in front of you um which is nice and all their grilled stuff is good too but yeah jersey mike's is my go-to for uh subs yeah jimmy john's for me is down there the bread is good i won't lie the bread's pretty good but i just feel like it's the rest of it's just tasteless bland i think
2: my favorite part about it is that you get a you can get the pickles like You could be like, can you the quarter pickles a pickle for me and the you pickles just are. get that? I,
0: I'll give them that. I think they have the best best pickles probably.
2: Yeah, pretty good. but honestly, I rarely get sandwiches. We do have someone in the office, though. I won't name names, but someone is a big Subway stan in this office. We might have to shame them <laughs> a little bit later after this episode. But uh, Danny, what about you? Favorite subs? I have to go with Josh on this
1: one. Yeah. Yeah, Jersey Mike's just slaps it does it's good it's good quality i'm I'm not i'm not going to downplay uh jimmy john's but jersey mike's is definitely better
0: i think i think it's also because they have the hot sandwiches too so you can get like a cheese uh, cheese steak or um i I love doing the like a buffalo chicken sub and and honestly too their bacon is pretty pretty good in comparison to
2: others like subway's bacon i'm like where did that come from yeah garbage that ain't bacon yeah You know what? I take it back. Not Jimmy Jones. I'm going Quiznos. Oh, dude! I they're they're like all failing across the country. There's only like two in the Denver metro area. There's one in the airport. I know because yep, when I first came here, I I went straight to Quiznos because I was like, I don't have that many back home. So yeah, yeah. It's interesting that they're kind of
0: falling fallen off the off the top. Yeah, because yeah. they used to be everywhere. There's yeah. There's only a few in in uh, this area. But yeah, that's a, that's another good good one. Yeah. For sure. So between 2001 and 2004, Jared was also featured in countless TV shows, sketches, and pop culture references. And in 2002, he was even featured on a South Park episode titled Jared Has AIDS. And he later said, quote, you know you've made it when the shows like South Park start parodying you. Did you ever see that episode? I didn't. I think I've seen like the, I've I've definitely seen the clip because I think in the documentary that's on Hulu on, they played a little clip of the South Park uh, episode, but of course South Park would.
2: He also plays in the, I think the second South Park video game. There's some DLC where he plays like a, one of the final bosses or something. (laughs) (laughs) Of
0: course, of course. He would later appear in WWE and play a part in Sharknado 2, the second one can't say i've seen that
2: that movie i've seen the first one and it's about as bad as you (laughs) yes
0: herald times columnist mike leonard interviewed jared during his rise to fame and he told michael that most of his life had been depressing the more weight he gained the worse he felt and the more isolated he became but after his weight loss his whole life had changed and he quickly became one of the most successful spokespersons of all time in the first year of his work with subway their sales increased by 18 percent which is absolutely mind-blowing. And within 10 years, Subway's revenue would triple from $3.1 billion to $11.4 billion. So imagine being responsible for that kind of growth for a corporation like that. Like The amount of money that Jared Fogle, especially now, had he not did what he did and he was still their spokesperson, I mean, he'd be so, so rich. Oh, yeah, he'd be
2: swimming in money.
0: Yeah, yeah he might even own the joint by that point. Like, right. that's, that's ridiculous. But the truth was, Subway wasn't healthier than any other fast food place. The only reason Jared lost that much weight was because his caloric intake was way lower than it used to be. If you've ever watched, like, 600 pounds, 600-pound uh, life, that's, like, the first thing they do is they put you on a low, low-calorie diet and, and kind of like a low-carb diet, basically. But that's, like, the surefire way to lose a ton of weight really fast i think i think dr now puts his patients on like 1200 calories a day oh wow so like super super low so they were eating 10 20 000 a day to 1200 and they just they drop weight like in one month so they can drop fast. 80 pounds or yeah. something and so it
2: makes sense it's funny because like in the commercial you see we're kind of demonizing a grams of fat that's right. what we were all worried about. Yeah. Was like fat content, but really, yeah, it was carbs. It was the it's bread. Carb, it was yeah. sugar. You know, it's really just the
0: calories overall. Which, yeah. which I know Subway, uh, they had like a 500 calories and less lower menu, which was like turkey breasts or veggie. Like, there's very few subs. It'd be like a six inch wheat or something like okay, that. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, that's about as healthy as it gets. And what's interesting is that most people would have experienced withdrawal symptoms from such a swift change in calories and a rapid drop in weight. But the public trusted Jared because they saw him as an average guy. Which I think is really kind of the the genius marketing behind him is that people really connected with him. They're like, Okay, here's this guy's like any of us. He just happened to live near Subway and he started eating Subway and he started losing this weight. So why can't I do that? Yeah. And I think that's why he was I think that's definitely the reason why he was so successful yeah, in pretty producing genius. sales it's right a very smart marketing because if he could do it anyone could and he even told the world that he loved being just an average guy and that's the disguise he would wear for years subway even noticed that his commercials performed better than the ones with star athletes because again jared was more relatable so they kept signing him on for more commercials after his fame and weight loss he also had enough confidence to be more social again he even started dating and got his first girlfriend A fellow Indianapolis University graduate, Elizabeth Christie. After a year of dating, they got married on October 14, 2001, and she was even featured in a few Subway ads along with Jared. So after working with Subway for four years, in 2004, Jared established the Jared Foundation. The foundation claimed it was a nonprofit that focused on raising awareness about childhood obesity through educational programs. The foundation worked closely with Jared and he started touring for 200 days out of the year sharing his weight loss story around the US, mostly with middle schoolers. He would always bring along the famous pair of jeans he wore when he was 425 pounds. You know, he's always holding them up, and you know, yep. like, oh, this is what I used to wear. That was his shtick. Yep. Yep. For most middle schoolers, this was the only celebrity that they had ever met. And most knew him from his TV appearances, and they all looked up to him. After his inspiring speeches, he would hang around the school, give out autographs, and hang out with the kids in the schoolyard. From his work with the foundation and his famous subway commercials, Jared was pulling in about $2 million a year. He started buying luxury foods and expensive cocktails, and it didn't take long for this lifestyle to go straight to his head. Jared's average nice guy persona that he sold to the world began to fade, and people who worked closest with him noticed he began having multiple affairs and sleeping with sex workers while on the road. It would later be revealed he spent about $12,000 a year on sex workers. And after his speeches, he would go to strip clubs and spend thousands to try and get strippers to come back to his hotel room. Besides that, he had also had several ongoing relationships with women across the country. While he toured, he often visited the Florida Sun Coast in the mid-2000s, especially Sarasota. Here, he sat down with a local radio host, Rochelle Herman Walrund, and she was a single mom raising two kids. She also focused on her career as a radio and TV host. Her radio show, Health Beat of America focused on educating and promoting fitness, and she became a regional celebrity. And in 2006, she was contacted by the American Heart Association to interview Jared for the first time. She figured it was a great opportunity since he was so popular, and Rochelle was excited to draw more attention to her show. She had a radio broadcast and then a televised broadcast right after. And for their first show, Jared arrived 30 minutes late. And to Rochelle, this was one of the first signs that he had a big ego. Despite that he was nice, and she remembered him being an easy, charming person to interview, he seemed genuine about wanting to help people be healthy, especially children. After the interview, Rochelle noticed how flirtatious he was, and he told her she was pretty and flattered her with compliments. And this was the beginning of another one of Jared's extramarital affairs. Within a year, his wife Elizabeth filed for a divorce. The media didn't care much about Jared's personal life at the time, as he was still known as the lovable average subway guy. Even when Elizabeth also filed a temporary restraining order, no one seemed to care. In the divorce court document, she claimed that he had become controlling and he had a mean streak in him. He would take her to Indianapolis Colts games and yell and argue until she cried in public. Then he would say that her crying was why he never wanted to be around her. The court granted the restraining order and the divorce was settled on October 18, 2007. The two never had children. Meanwhile, his relationship with Rochelle and countless other women continued but he also started a relationship with a woman named Kathleen McLaughlin. Kathleen was a teacher, and she accepted his hectic schedule while touring around the country, and just like the others, he had her fooled that he was an upstanding guy. They had known each other since 1999, and it's believed that they had been sleeping together for years. And they would later get married in August 2010 and eventually had two kids together. All the while, Kathleen had no idea what was going on with her husband, he was on tour for a lot of their relationship, and during Jared's long tours, this was when he met a man named Russell Taylor, and Russell would become one of his closest friends, but their relationship would also lead to Jared's downfall. Russell Taylor quickly became Jared's right-hand man in the Jared Fogel Foundation. The public didn't know much about Russell before he joined the foundation, but he had worked as a youth market director of the American Heart Association, and this position put him in contact with countless children. And just like Jared, he also began touring and speaking to children about health. When they first met, Jared asked if Russell could write a speech for him in Illinois. Russell ended up writing the entire speech for free. And Jared liked it so much that he began bringing Russell with him everywhere. And the two quickly became inseparable. And they spent hours every day working with children. During their time off, they would spend their nights at local strip clubs and casinos. Soon, Jared discovered that Russell had an open marriage with his wife, Angela Baldwin and she was okay with his wild lifestyle. Jared saw Russell as someone he could have a good time with, but also trust. Russell was one of the few people who didn't judge Jared's seedy lifestyle of getting drunk, going to strip clubs, and hiring sex workers. So over the years, they formed a close bond. Russell really became Jared's yes man, and Jared knew that Russell could schmooze people better than he could. One night after a Patriots playoff game, Jared told him if he could convince a stripper to come home with them, he would pay him. russell made it happen seeing that russell could fulfill their sexual desires jared formally asked russell if he would become the executive director of his foundation russell accepted without hesitation not only was it a great career opportunity but now they could travel the world together or in other words they could now take part in global sex tourism they'd fly to places like japan thailand and indonesia by day they would tour different middle schools and give speeches about fighting obesity but by night They would get drunk, smoke crack cocaine in the back rooms, and hire all the sex workers they ever dreamed of. But soon enough, Russell's dark sexual nature would come to light. As it turned out, Russell also enjoyed bestiality and watching his wife Angela perform sexual acts with animals. Meanwhile, he continued to be the executive director
2: of Jared's foundation. So as a surprise to pretty much no one now, the Jared Fogle Foundation was really just a way for Jared to look good on paper and to make money without being taxed which is kind of what a lot of celebrities do they donate their money or they have a foundation and it's just a way to dodge.
0: not to say that some don't do a lot of good work oh for sure tons of celebrities that do tons of good charity work through their foundations but i agree
2: there's definitely some out there that use it just for the tax purposes It's, it's a very easy way to dodge the tax man um, so they ended up raising $650,000 for charity between the years 2008 and 2013, but they only donated 145000 of that. Mm. The foundation promised another $2 million to schools to fight childhood obesity, but between 2009 and 2013, not a single grant was ever given to any schools. So where is this money going? Most of the money spent went straight to russell and jared and more than a quarter of the foundation's funds went missing the foundation didn't even bother to pay its five dollar annual registration fee to the state of indiana which would this would kind of cause the collapse of the foundation or at least cause for it to be technically dissolved was just that five dollar annual registration fee. you would
0: think that they would be smarter than that right and they would at least make sure that they're paying the government what the government wants to keep that nonprofit legit yeah. or foundation legit. It's
2: just such a silly thing to to miss. So I mean, really, in the grand scheme of things, this foundation wasn't really had the mask of of doing good things for the world, but really, it was just a way for them to make money and in a evade very taxes essentially. Yeah, evade taxes and in a really sick way for so Jared. Could, keep hanging out with kids
0: yeah that's true yeah using it as a tool to create events like where he could come in contact with children for the longest time i had no idea how many subscriptions i was paying for on a monthly basis everywhere you buy stuff these days offers a subscription model and it's so easy to you know use your subscription once or twice and then forget that you're still subscribed and before you know it you're giving this company hundreds and hundreds of dollars that you didn't intend on giving because you forgot you were subscribed to it. Well, I'm here to tell you about an amazing app that makes it extremely easy to actually manage your money and look at all of those subscriptions you currently have. So I'm here today to tell you about Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Again, over 80% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about, and chances are you're one of them too. Basically, you just connect your bank accounts to Rocket Money, and it goes through, scrubs your bank account statements, and it actually finds those subscriptions for you, and then gives you an option to have them canceled for you. Rocket Money also helps you manage all your finances in one place and automatically categorizes your expenses so you can easily track your budget in real time. Over 3 million people, including myself, have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. It's a no-brainer to use Rocket Money. I mean, it's free to download and it really is an amazing app. It monitors your credit as well. It's really the all-in-one finance app that everybody should have. So stop throwing your money away, cancel unwanted subscriptions, and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com lightsout lights out. That's rocketmoney.com lightsout lights out. Check it out, rocketmoney.com. Slash lights out. So as Russell and Jared toured the world, Russell said that he had become paranoid that someone was stealing from him. So he set up hidden security cameras in his office and his home. He hid these cameras in small electronics like alarm clocks in bedrooms, and they were motion activated. When they turned on, they saved what was being recorded and sent it to Russell's computer. And this was how Russell created his first instance of child pornography. But of course, he later claimed it was on accident. While on tour, a camera in his home office activated and he caught an underage intern having sex with her boyfriend. When he told Jared about the footage, instead of being repulsed, he got excited and he demanded Russell to put more cameras in his home, hoping he would catch more underage kids having sex. He even told him to try and get footage of specific children he was attracted to. Russell then made it so Jared could easily access the footage and he began having children stay at his home where he installed hidden cameras, and he aimed the cameras at the beds and bathrooms. He and his wife Angela would get Angela's daughters and their teenage friends drunk until they were unaware of what was happening, and the cameras would record the minors changing their clothes, showering, or having sex with each other in the guest rooms. Russell even put the cameras in his own stepdaughter's bedrooms and bathrooms. How fucking sick is that? He would then review the footage to make sure it was good enough for Jared before sending it to him, and if it wasn't good enough, he would keep it stored on his personal computer. From this point on, Jared and Russell's seedy relationship was in complete control of Jared. Just like his first wife said, Jared became more controlling as time went on, and he ended up treating Russell the same way. He often reminded him that he controlled all of his finances. Jared had bought him an expensive home and a Mercedes so he would be indebted to him forever. Jared even referred to himself as Russell's daddy. He would get Russell to say how much he loved daddy, and he reminded him that daddy paid for everything. This control even got down to things like his diet, and Jared would force Russell to eat food that went against his gluten intolerance. He loved seeing how far he could push him. As it later turned out, this abusive relationship was on par with most of Russell's life. From early childhood, he suffered from sexual and physical abuse. Between ages 5 and 8, he was sexually assaulted by a neighborhood friend and the friend's father. Russell said he went along with the abuse because the boy was his only friend. After the assaults, they would threaten him with violence if he ever told anyone. His neighbor even shot Russell with a pellet gun just to prove his threats were real. The abuse only stopped because Russell's parents divorced and he moved in with his mother But then his own mother would physically abuse him daily, beating him with switches, shoes, and anything she could get her hands on. He desperately tried to please her by getting her gifts and running her errands, but nothing helped. At 15, he moved back in with his father and the abuse didn't even stop there. Five or six of his father's friends would then sexually abuse him until the age of 18. And so this abuse followed him into his adulthood. And just like how he tried to please his mother by giving her gifts and running her errands, he would do the same for Jared Vogel. Meanwhile, Rochelle kept her relationship with Jared going, but it didn't take long before Jared would make strange remarks that Rochelle couldn't ignore any longer. The first time she felt extremely uncomfortable was when Jared was a guest on the televised portion of her radio show. In 2006, they met at the middle school in Sarasota where they would film. They both got on stage to get things set up, and as they positioned the cameras, Jared and Rochelle sat down on the stage couch together Jared kept complimenting her, telling her how pretty she was, and then he asked to hold her hand. Rochelle knew at the time that Jared was in the middle of a divorce with his first wife, and she began seeing him more often. Things seemed to be going well, but then out of nowhere, Jared slowly leaned over and whispered something. Something that Rochelle would never forget. He whispered that he thought middle school girls were so hot. At that moment, Rochelle shut down. She couldn't believe what he had just said. She was so in shock that she doubted she even heard him correctly. During her shock, one of the middle school teachers brought in a few students to speak with Jared, and soon after the televised interview started. Rochelle struggled to get through the interview, and when she got home, she didn't know what to do. It was clear to her that Jared was not who he seemed to be. The caring and compassionate man during the interviews was only a disguise. As she watched his career skyrocket, Rochelle struggled with what she knew. At first, she didn't go to the police because she figured there was no evidence that she could use against Jared, but she eventually filed an official complaint with the Sarasota Police Department. At the time, all she had was the memory of those few words he had whispered to her, and she knew that it technically isn't illegal to tell someone you're attracted to children. Plus, his celebrity status was so huge that Rochelle thought no one would ever believe her, or they would just brush her off as some crazy woman Jared was having an affair with. So she knew she had to play it smart. She started her own investigation. She tried to dig deep into Jared's past, but he was clean. There was nothing in his history that seemed off. But if she could get him to talk more, she thought she could bring him down. Her plan was to pretend she accepted Jared's interest in children so he would talk more about it. And she knew how to not overstep with her questions because it might scare him off. Their relationship was mostly long distance, meaning over the phone. But over time, Jared had grown to trust her. On one of their calls he said I love how I can be completely utterly honest with you about everything and he eventually opened up more and more sometimes calling her up to 15 to 20 times a day. It didn't take long before he confessed that he had been having sex with children all across the world. He confessed he was attracted to kids regardless of age or gender. Rochelle recorded all their conversations on the phone and when they met in person she would put her voice recorder in her handy bag. She caught him saying things like, the younger the child was, the better the experience, and he said the easiest people to victimize were young middle schoolers. He also confessed to paying mothers to have sex with their children, and he admitted to Rochelle he would meet with children as young as 11 years old. It turns out for years, Jared was sleeping with his friend's daughters and hiring underage children who had been sold into sex trafficking. As time went on, Rochelle struggled with what she knew, She had to watch as middle school children got so excited to meet and talk with Jared all over the world, but she knew his secret. And she had to listen to him talk openly about being attracted to them and how he would molest them. When she thought she had finally gathered up enough evidence against him, she contacted the FBI in 2011. They listened to the recordings of Jared admitting to sexually assaulting minors. But the recordings had two major flaws. The first was that Jared never gave names or specific places.
2: The other major problem was that Rochelle had technically broken the law. So in most states, you only need one party consent to record a phone call, meaning just one person and you can record it. But in 11 states, including Florida, which is where she was from, you need two party consent, meaning that everyone who is a part of the phone call has to consent to being recorded. And she didn't know this at the time so the fbi said they couldn't use rochelle's evidence in court that she had been gathering up for about i think it was about three years three and a half years did she know that though or
0: did she not know that at the time
2: there's no clear report that shows that she was ignorant of that law. right
0: it was just kind of something she found out after the fact yeah
2: as far as we know,
0: it Which was just like in this fact. case, is so stupid because this evidence she's collecting is so important and so crucial, right? That either way, it was a good idea that she gathered it because it does. I mean, whether it can be admissible in court or not is one thing, but it at least shows that hey, maybe investigate this guy. Yes,
2: absolutely. Yeah, the thing was, he was very smart about it. He never gave names, never listed places. So even if they, were to look into it it's like we actually have nothing here to go on he's just talking about being disgusting so that's what they struggled with and the fact that she had broken the law Um, according to fbi agent eileen romer who worked in a child exploitation unit she later said quote without any physical evidence of him violating they wouldn't have had any reason to continue an investigation of him beyond the original preliminary look at him regarding information that was provided, end quote. So Jared talking about his experiences just wasn't against the law. It was disgusting, but technically he wasn't breaking any laws. So basically Jared had to either give names or places or literally send Rochelle child pornography in this case to get the FBI to move beyond that preliminary investigation. Some later accused Rochelle of being just as bad as Jared and claimed that she was in on this whole thing, that she was kind of like getting off during these conversations as well, because they tried to point out like, hey, why didn't, why did it take her until 2011 to go to the FBI? But these theories have been debunked because there are records showing she contacted the Sarasota Police Department back way as, as back, far as like right, 2007. Right. Um, but people have really tried to come at Rochelle and say, oh, like, like you are only... you kinda
0: egging it on versus yeah. like
2: shutting it down or or
0: just like and being grossed out by it versus being trying to keep it going. Exactly. So
2: to speak. Yep. And so that was a lot of accusations towards her and people also think, which we'll get into a little bit later, that she only came to the FBI after Jared started mentioning her own kids in the conversation and wanting to be weird with her own kids. So um, people tried to point her out for that, but this really don't have any basis because we have records of her approaching police and the FBI.
0: I, I think her actions are heroic. I mean, to put yourself in that position, to kind of take it upon yourself to investigate this and gather evidence, yeah. whether you were doing it, you know, by the book or not is one thing, but to just want to help and, you know, stop this, you know, be a part of of the stoppage of, of the horrific things that Jared was doing I think is commendable
2: yeah so she might have been like a little naive sure like, but she's oh, not she... like
0: she's not in law enforcement so it's yeah. like how much can you fault her for that like she she's just doing what she thought would be be helpful yeah. to in, to the investigation and i mean contacting the fbi was a smart move no matter which way you look at it cuz obviously the sarasota police department wasn't able to do a whole lot in the in this particular case at first. And it was really that, I mean, the FBI is just able to do so much more when it comes to surveillance and, and investigating in general. And so I think it was just a, a great move on her part to bring in the FBI yeah. and reach out to him. Yeah,
2: because, I mean, the police department also has jurisdiction right. only in Sarasota. Exactly, So yeah. it's like, if he's not committing crimes here, we really can't do much about this. He's just saying these disgusting things in these phone calls. So, but... But yeah, I mean, after she took this to the FBI, it uh, kind of snowballed after that.
0: Yeah, the FBI offered Rochelle the role of an informant in the case. They wanted her to continue working with them to get more solid legal evidence this time. She agreed because she felt like it had become her responsibility. But over time, her work on the case began to wear down her mental health. Now, she had two children of her own. Can't even imagine, you know, being an informant for a pedophile And having to listen to Jared talk about his attraction to children when you have two of your own. And uh, just that right there is just, I mean, took a lot of bravery to, to do that. She constantly felt disgusted because her children around the same ages as the children that Jared was attracted to. She felt like just being near her own children during the investigation would corrupt them in some way. So she began to isolate herself. After listening to Jared talk, she would sit alone crying in a dark room for hours because he would tell her about having sex with young boys in Thailand and the United States. Rochelle would sometimes vomit after their conversation, so you can only imagine how disturbing these conversations were. And she felt like she had become a different person after listening to the things that Jared did. One day she discovered that her young daughter had been in her home office at one point and read through the notes Rochelle had written about Jared. And this almost ruined Rochelle's entire relationship with her daughter. She read the most horrific things in that journal. And this was the point when Rochelle decided, you know what, it's time to step away from the investigation and focus on protecting her own children. So I guess from that perspective, I could see where people would have some criticism of Rochelle's like, you, you know, you're putting your own kids at rest at that point and even it was probably an accident that her kids got into some of the notes that she wrote down but obviously that's that's not a good situation yeah no matter what i mean it's just yeah very traumatizing for for a child by 2009 rochelle and the fbi had come up with an endgame plan they would lure jared to a fake birthday party for her son the purpose was to prove that he would cross state lines to have sex with a minor because travel proves intent and crossing state lines would be a federal crime That's the type of evidence that the FBI was really looking for. Jared was interested in the party, saying he was excited to see the young children checking out Rochelle's body. And then he admitted he wanted Rochelle to watch him have sex with a child. He even tried to teach Rochelle how to groom children. He even taught her his strategy on how to pick out the most vulnerable kids. And he asked her to start talking about sex in front of them. He eventually trusted Rochelle just as much as he did Russell and he wondered how far he could push the limits. He even asked Rochelle if he could see her own children naked. Can you imagine? She later described his question as a shot to the heart. He wanted to put a camera in her own children's bedrooms, but Rochelle wouldn't let that happen. Plus, she thought they would finally arrest him during her son's stage birthday party, so she just had to wait it out. Unfortunately, Jared's schedule changed last minute and he said he could be there in a few days instead of a week like they had originally planned. When Rochelle told the FBI, they said they couldn't get ready in 48-72 to 72 hours, so the stage party was cancelled. This is when friends and family started to notice Rochelle becoming extremely paranoid. She'd freak out when anyone knocked on her front door, and anytime she saw a black van, she thought Jared was sending people to abduct and kill her. She believed that with all of Jared's money and power, he was going to kill her since she wouldn't let him see her kids naked and maybe he had caught on to the sting operation. By 2010, her contact with him became less and less. She then took all of her evidence to the Sarasota police, but they told Rochelle that Jared's crimes were out of their jurisdiction, as again, none of his activities involved Sarasota. She was so frustrated that she threatened to play the recorded conversations on her own radio show, but the police told her that would scare off the suspect, and it would also create more problems for her and possibly affect her safety, so she agreed not to play them. One of the Sarasota officers then contacted the FBI and soon enough Rochelle's radio station and home were raided. They took every last piece of evidence Rochelle had and they told her if she didn't stay quiet they would charge her with impeding an ongoing investigation. And from that point on Rochelle stepped back
2: from the investigation. So unfortunately today Rochelle suffers from PTSD and in the fall of 2012 she was diagnosed with reflex sympathetic dystrophy or RSD, and she believes that her emotional damage from working on this case really led to this. Um, RSD is a regional pain syndrome. It causes severe pain in one or more limbs that can last for months at a time. It's sometimes called the, quote, suicide disease because it's one of the most painful chronic diseases there is. Oh, wow. People who are afflicted often suffer from anxiety, depression, or PTSD, or combination. And her condition ended up costing her her entire career. All the while, she had to keep watching as, you know, Jared got married to his second wife, Kathleen, and he kept making money. The foundation kept going on strong. And Jared ended up making somewhere around $15 million after this whole ordeal. And she just kind of had to sit and watch. and, And she knew this whole time. And I can't really imagine what that did yeah. to her mental state. You to know? see
0: him on TV still and in commercials and putting on these smile, these fake smiles for everybody yeah. while he's an absolute monster. Around children yeah. too. Yeah. You know? That's, can't even imagine how you would deal, you know, process those things mentally knowing that he's causing all of this destruction to these poor kids out there. And meanwhile, he's seemingly just you know not a care in the world, just you know rolling in the dough and doing whatever the hell he wants and I think I think it goes to show too that the the fame and money really went to Jared's head, and he kind of felt like invincible, right, yeah, like you know nobody's gonna believe you know somebody rats on me, nobody's gonna believe it because I'm Jared the subway guy, right, yeah,
2: and and that's what she thought. She was like, "If I go to people and try to break this story, they're just going to think I'm a crazy ex girlfriend right, or something." Right, right. Which know? is just such a, yeah, such a problem in our
0: our society that, you know, that's even a thought that crosses the victims, you know, brains, you know, when thinking about the things that they go through, and especially the things that I mean, I can't even imagine. I I, I can't imagine, and it's just it's just so sick to even think about the things that jared was saying and i'm sure it was in great detail and and jared jared's meanwhile they really thinks that he's got this like confidant that is into it maybe or you know doesn't have a problem with it but meanwhile she's literally like being tortured by the things that he's telling her just came and imagine what that must must have been like so the ptsd makes makes sense to me i think
2: yeah in 15 to 20 calls a day sometimes you know that would take up just so much of your day
0: and to just i mean it, it takes it up to a whole nother level when this predator is like how about we bring your children into this like that for me is just like I, i'm sure she wanted to destroy him i mean that's that would be my thought is like i'm gonna destroy this guy like yeah. the fact that he even has the 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 guts to ask me something like that is just beyond Beyond words, like how I'm sure there's so many times she wanted to just like go public and just bring all this out. Like, screw the FBI, they're taking too long. Like, justice isn't happening she, she, swiftly enough. She almost
2: does. We'll get to that in a second here. And yeah, and you kind of can't blame her because I would consider that's that what I would do. I mean, yeah. it just is like you would want everybody to
0: know, like, especially if you're seeing him, nothing happened to him from a law enforcement perspective, you'd want to be the one to bring them down. If they're not going to do it, then I'll just do it myself.
2: And like at the FBI, it's like we really don't know where that, when did this investigation even start? When did they start the preliminary stuff? Like what, there's just no. What were they
0: doing? Like what was that process like? Um, Like how, how are they going? I wonder at how deep they went, like surveillance wise. Did they, tap his phones and you know at what point did the real deep investigation start for the FBI or if they kind of just like you know put him on a list or something kind of like half hazardly kept an eye on him for any obvious obvious signs but yeah it's just crazy to think he was doing this for years yeah there's one thing that we all have in common and that is dealing with debt. No matter which way you slice it, we all have debt of some kind. Well, this is where a company called PDS Debt comes in and they can really help you get debt-free faster than you could even imagine. So PDS Debt has customized 0% interest options for anyone struggling with credit cards, personal loans, collections, or medical bills. With rising interest rates and the cost of living at an all-time high, now's the time to finally take initiative with your debt. Stop waiting and start saving with your own custom debt savings options from PDS Debt. PDS Debt is giving our qualified listeners a free debt savings analysis just for completing the 30 second online debt assessment at pdsdebt.com out. You'll receive a full breakdown on how to save on interest each month and the quickest way to take care of your debt. So if you're making payments every month on your debt and your balances aren't going down, this program is for you. PDS Debt rolls all of your payments into one low 0% interest monthly payment And everyone with over $10,000 or more in debt qualifies and there is no minimum credit score required, which is amazing. Bad and fair credit is accepted. Save thousands in interest and fees and pay off your debt in a fraction of the time. It takes 30 seconds to see what PDS Debt can do for you. PDS Debt is offering free debt analysis to our listeners just for completing the quick and easy debt assessment at www.pdsdebt.com slash out. That's P-D-S-D-E-B-T dot com slash out. Take back your financial freedom today by visiting pdsdebt.com slash out. After all of Rochelle's work in the case, there was still no solid case against Jared, according to the FBI. They never arrested Jared from all of Rochelle's work as an informant, which had to have been extremely maddening. And a completely different investigation ended up being his downfall. In September, 2014, Russell Taylor, If you remember, the executive director of the Jared Fogel Foundation was investigated by the Indiana State Police. An anonymous woman reported that Russell offered her sexual pictures of animals. But police knew that having images of bestiality was not a crime in Indiana. Only the act of bestiality was. So they needed to look more into it. Up to this point, Russell had no criminal history. This anonymous woman claimed to have been friends with Russell and his wife Angela for years, and she had been introduced to them by her late husband. After her husband passed, she kept in contact with the tailors, and she knew that they were in an open relationship. So when Russell first sent her sexual images, she played along. But after a while, his messages became worrisome. The first was when Russell asked her if he and his wife, Angela, could come over and have sex with one of her horses. She asked if he was joking, but it was clear he was being serious. He later sent a picture of a dog licking a woman's naked private area. The woman in the picture was later confirmed to be, of course, his wife, Angela. Then Russell sent her a text asking if she wanted to see pictures of naked young girls and how young she wanted them to be. The woman quickly responded, legal age. Russell responded, okay, wanted to ask, LOL. Keep in mind, we do travel to Thailand on occasion with a smiley face emoji. Throughout the conversation, Russell had not sent her any child pornography and never admitted to having sex with children. When she handed her phone to the police, they found that Russell had sent her links to websites that had explicit material involving animals, but it wasn't clear if she had opened those links. In the links, there were videos of people with horses and dogs. Even though having images of bestiality isn't a crime, it was enough evidence to suggest the Taylors might have been making bestiality pornography or possibly child pornography in their home. So they got a search warrant for their property in Salem Creek. Police ended up finding more than 400 homemade and commercial images and videos of child porn and bestiality. Several videos involved his own family members. Russell was immediately arrested. A few days later, he tried committing suicide, and it didn't take long for friends and family to come forward to police and confess that Russell had sexually abused them over the years. Russell claimed that the accusations were false and that the evidence against him was falsified. He also claimed that the anonymous woman who outed him was having a sexual relationship with three of the detectives on the case, and that she also had group sex with him and his wife when she made the report. But he soon shifted his story and eventually planned on pleading guilty. He admitted to making child pornography, but only because his employer, Jared Fogel, told him to. Right after the case became public knowledge, media all over the country began covering the story. In response, Jared and his foundation immediately cut ties and condemned Russell's actions. Jared claimed he had no idea what Russell had been doing, and many were quick to defend Jared, even though he and Russell had been best friends for years. So, how likely was it that he really had no idea what Russell was doing? Supposedly, Jared only spoke with Russell one time after his arrest, and he tried to cut him a deal. He said that if Russell stayed quiet about his part in the crimes... Jared would take care of Angela and his properties. He told him he would take care of all of his finances as long as Russell stayed quiet, but Jared didn't realize it was already too late. The evidence that they found in the Russell's home during that search warrant had already connected Jared to the crimes and neither of them knew or realized how bad they were at covering their tracks. When the officers had taken Russell's phone, they quickly discovered that he had sent Jared at least one video of child pornography and in return, Jared thanked him quote-unquote getting daddy his fix they also connected jared to the case because jared had personally met many of the known victims through his foundation he'd even taken pictures of the children saved them to his phone and then sent the pictures to russell he then told russell to get videos of these specific children the evidence was enough to get a search warrant for jared's house in zionsville indiana and they immediately found more evidence his phone had two images of child pornography sent by russell before his arrest he also had a laptop that was given to him by Russell when they were out of the country, and Jared used this exclusively to watch child porn. A thumb drive was found by one of the canine units, and it had thousands of legal pictures and videos. Some were created by Russell, and others were bought by Jared on the dark web. Supposedly, the youngest victim found in Jared's stash was just six years old. He was also under investigation for raping two victims of child sex trafficking in New York City. The victims were 16 or 17 years old at the time that the crime was committed, and since Jared had crossed state lines to have sex with a minor, this was a federal crime that he could be charged for. Investigators also found messages to adults he offered finder's fees if they could get him access to minors for sex. He did this in several cities throughout the United States, including Richmond, Virginia, Kansas City, Missouri, and Las Vegas, Nevada. He had carefully planned out his tours across the country. And he scheduled his meetings with child sex traffickers months in advance, and Jared was arrested soon after. His wife Kathleen claimed she had no idea this was going on, and she took her children and fled to an undisclosed location to hide from the media, and then she filed for divorce and asked for full custody of their children. Let's listen to a statement made by Kathleen.
3: When the FBI banged on my door on July seventh, two 2015, I thought it was the worst day of my life. I had no idea that the nightmare was just beginning. Like the rest of America, I was shocked to learn what I learned in the weeks and months to follow. First, let me say to the victims of my ex-husband, you're never far from my thoughts and prayers. I can only imagine what you're going through. A mother's most basic instinct is to protect her children and this is one of the worst horrific crimes I know the healing process is lifelong finding out that your husband and the father of your children is a child predator and knowing that his job involves him visiting schools on a regular basis is devastating finding out that Subway did not act upon at least one complaint while continue, continuing to utilize Jared as their spokesperson and facilitate his visits to those hundreds of schools is beyond comprehension. I filed this lawsuit today because I have questions, questions that someday my children will ask me, and that I imagine the, four, the families of the 14 victims are asking, questions to which I, can, I have no other way to get answers. Questions like what did Subway know? When did they know it? What investigations did they conduct? Do they ever notify the authorities i also filed this lawsuit because i am seeking damages from subway as the complaint alleges there were there have been news reports that subway received at least one complaint of jared's sexual interest in children subway even took the step of marketing him as a family man and used my children and my likeness in that campaign i did not give them consent to do so this is not a position i'd ever wanted to be in I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old who now ask me every day about jail and where their father is, and I know that those questions are just going to elaborate as the years go on as to what happened, where did this start from, and I think I owe my kids an explanation. I will not lie to my kids, and I want to be able to answer those questions someday.
0: This poor woman. That's a. Can you imagine finding out? That your spouse, who you have
2: children with, is a pedophile. I I would probably live with trust issues the rest of my life. That that that's such a, a, I mean, obviously the things that Jared Fogle did were horrific, but this specifically is just a complete, absolute betrayal to his entire family.
0: Right, right. No regard at all for yeah. all everything he did. He never once clearly was thinking about his own family and what what his actions would do to them yeah if they were ever found out which i think goes to show he really thought that he was just going to get away with all this like there was no chance he was ever going to get caught yeah and so and you know if he did like he tried to do he just pay somebody off right he just his wealth and status to try and and hide it and and you know obviously you can dive even deeper and be like well who else knew about this, right? Like at the high, you know, with those celebrity circles and things like that, obviously there's tons of of sexual abuse of children that happens at the, the highest levels of elite circles. And so you wonder if, you know, who he would, you know, it said he met with child sex traffickers and things like that. And I, I wonder who he may have connected with or how he ever even got started in this, right? Like how do you, sure. and obviously Russell is based on what the investigation shows that was sort of his end to this world. But for all we know, there could have been others too that Absolutely. sort of, you know, brought him into these shady contacts that are involved in the world of sex trafficking. And yeah, it's, was- it's just mind blowing. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a very, very sad reality that a lot of, a lot of people don't really talk about or know about. This whole world of, of child sex trafficking is just, it's heartbreaking to, to know that it really does exist. And there's predators just like Jared out there, and there's they're still out there who haven't been caught that are, are partaking in this,
2: this evil trade. Kind of reminds me of, uh, so when Stanley Kubrick was doing all his research for his final film, Eyes Wide Shut, mm. which is about, you know, this dark yeah. CD. Yeah. Uh, but it's like about the elites that control this weird CD sex stuff that they do. Uh, through his research, though, he started coming to this conclusion that it was like any form of power, any power structure that exists in the world will almost always result in child sex trafficking. And I think that's a theory that's. seems like it's pretty true yeah Yeah. because like if jared had these inclinations before his subway stardom and money i doubt he would even kind of had have access into this weird seedy world but i don't think it's a coincidence that all of a sudden he starts getting fame and money and now he has a hookup into this shit yeah exactly i mean
0: you know if you look at jeffrey epstein and
2: Yeah, the black book. Yeah,
0: you have to wonder. You have to wonder. Did Jared ever cross paths with him at some point, and you know, kind of get brought into this inner circle of of individuals who take part in, in the exploitation of children, and it's just, it's, it's a frightening, frightening reality to, to know about because, I mean, the fact that it exists and on the scale that it exists, I mean, it's a global trade i mean that brings in tons of money and it seems like it's always the people that you would least suspect are the ones that are involved in it yeah especially the you know people that are you know kind of running in elite circles it's always you know we're always kind of shocked when i mean we're not so shocked anymore because it happens so often we're like
2: oh that that kind of makes sense to me. If, like, if Jared Fogle can be the pedophile, the the quote like average nice guy can be the pedophile. We kind of just bets are off but, for who else is involved in that. Yeah. So
0: obviously Subway is trying to do damage control, and and I I I mean Kathleen filed a lawsuit against them, and so if Subway really did get complaints, anonymous complaints and things like that, that Jared was involved in. In this and they did not take action or alert the authorities I mean it seems like they're culpable in, in, in this in some way definitely and so of course subway being the giant corporation that they are they immediately pull every ad with Jared and tried to scrub their social media clean you know do damage control here as for the case against him Jared was eventually offered a plea deal He would be ordered to pay $100,000 to each of the 14 known victims, and if he signed the deal, they would only ask for no more than 13 years in prison, and no less than five. So Jared agreed. And on November 19, 2015, he formally pleaded guilty. In the courtroom, they all listened to Rochelle's recordings of how Jared bragged about having sex with minors all over the globe. His defense attorneys had him evaluated as part of their defense, and the experts claim that Jared had an addiction to sex or hypersexuality once he lost weight, and they claimed his food addiction had evolved into a sex addiction after he lost weight. The defense also tried to frame his problem as mild pedophilia. Which, what? What does that even mean? How, how do you How is there any sort of scale for pedophilia? Like, right. mild? And it's just like, of course they're trying to like conveniently say, oh, he was addicted to food, now he's addicted to sex. What and, a leap in logic. Yeah.
2: That's the no. most brain-dead thing I've ever heard in, in a defense. No.
0: No, chances are this was something that was a long time development for Jared, going back way before you know, his food addiction probably. But in the end, the judge felt that his 13 year plea deal wasn't enough. So they sentenced Jared to 15 years and eight months with the possibility of parole after 13 years. He was also given a lifetime supervision order, which means he'll be monitored and examined for the rest of his life. But will they actually follow up on that? Who knows? In his final statement, Jared began crying and said that he wanted to become a good, honest person and he wanted to redeem his life. Wah, wah. I don't feel bad for you at all, dude. He then said he had once lived an honorable life before all the deception lies and complete self-centeredness. As for his victims, he said he learned a lot about them and realized what he did was wrong. He also added, not a day will go by that I don't think about what I did and the impact on their lives. But it would become obvious that he didn't mean any of it. A few years later, he tried to appeal, saying that the judge was prejudiced against pedophiles. He like, what? Dude, yeah, talk about going back on your words right there. Right. He claimed that since the judge had two young daughters, she was negatively biased. He argued that he was punished based on the fact that he fantasized about having sex with children, which wasn't illegal. Dude. Which, thank God, his appeal was later rejected, but... It's, I mean, it's just like... The guy is he's a gonna be a child predator for life. Forever. Yeah. The fact that he's likely only gonna do thirteen years and, and come out is scary. Yeah. Like an individual like this who who's also trying to just pull a fast one on 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 the judge, being like, Oh yeah, I'm so sorry, you know, I want to redeem my life, but then on the flip side, I'd be like, Yeah, that judge was biased because they have two young daughters and being a pedophile isn't
2: illegal. Like what? What a talk about leaps in logic it's like the judge is biased because they have a two daughters what that's like oh you murder someone the judge is biased because they They know somebody like it just doesn't that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard i'm at a loss for
1: words to be completely honest with you the fact that he thought the judge was biased infuriates me beyond belief
0: yeah, it's it just goes to show the kind of monster he is. I mean, he shows no remorse. He'll say whatever he needs to say. He's a slimy snake. Yep, he will say whatever he needs to say to get himself out of the situation that he's in. Because obviously, you know, prison's no fun for anybody, but for a child predator, it's I, I hear at least it's it's not a easy time in the penitentiary. But it it just shows how dangerous he is. The guy, the guy thinks that being a pedophile is okay and he feels like he was wrongly um you know his sentence was wrongly given and you know should be you know i only have mild pedophilia so you know, yeah those I'll turn disgusting. it around it's like what
2: also i think he was wrongly sentenced too we should have given yeah. him a way more yeah bigger sentence right when drug dealers are getting life
0: in prison but a child sex predator is not there is something very very wrong yeah in my opinion when it comes to our justice system and the way that sentences are handed down yeah for sure like the fact that a somebody who you know maybe is a habitual marijuana offender and you know they get caught with pounds of marijuana in kansas and they go to jail for for for, as a felon for distributing marijuana but somebody like jared fogel who's literally destroying children's lives around the planet is given a just a portion of of that drug dealer sentence it just makes no sense to me i could
2: i can break down the the sentencing a little bit because i i looked into it because it yeah. was mind-boggling to me as well is that common to
0: get a at- 15 years
2: like so the jared's official convictions were for distributing and receiving child pornography and traveling in interstate commerce to engage in unlawful commercial sex acts with minors which is what that was that second one was really what the fbi wanted to go for because they knew that that would get more years in, in prison As far as I could find, the first offense has a sentence of up to 20 years, and I believe I could be wrong, but I believe it's a minimum of five for that one. The second is up to 30 years. So really, there was a potential range of a minimum of five and a maximum of Minimum of five? Yeah, isn't that crazy? What? And I was trying to think this through, and I think it's because there's no such thing as mild pedophilia, but let's say like someone has a collection of pornography on their computer and they have maybe one picture that they didn't realize was a minor in the grand scheme of things i can kind of understand that like total ignorance but still breaking the law like maybe that's why the threshold is so low on those but that seems like it needs to be maybe a different charge but i feel like there wouldn't there be a way to actually if that was a legitimate
0: scenario like wouldn't there be a way to argue that
2: For sure, and I think that's why it does come down, why it's such a big range, like five to 20, is that you do the defense and prosecutors kind of go through and see like, okay, what can we really really pin this guy for? Sure, sure. And so thinking of that, though, between five and 50 years, in the end, he didn't even get middle. He got 15 years and eight months, and that was, the plea deal was even worse because the plea deal was like 13 and some Yeah, and the judge added two years to it. Yeah, so... In federal prison, you have to serve at least 85% of your sentence. So he could potentially be out in a little over 13 years. What year would that be? He could potentially be released in 2029. 2029. So we're almost, what's 2023? Six years. Wow. Isn't that disgusting?
0: That's scary, man. And like. And then, and like, what is it, what is this like supervision stipulation that they put on? It's kind of like in it. Like they uh, check in with you?
2: Infinite parole essentially like you have to check in uh with meetings and stuff and And i believe they monitor your computer usage sometimes
0: oh do they yeah i believe especially in like child pornography situations they monitor your internet usage somehow which i don't know how well that system works i I probably wouldn't put a ton of faith into it but i think that's part of it too is they monitor your internet usage that would make sense um, somehow not quite sure how that works
2: but yeah as for the fines like you really think about them they're not that much $100,000 to each yeah, that's known nothing victim. to him and that's to each known victim right there could have been god knows how many so really and likely those are
0: victims here in the states yeah right cuz it's like it's not like they track down every there's no way they track down every single victim in every other country he was in
2: and he he's never been charged, charged for any anywhere crime else yeah. internationally and then to think like okay so that's 1.4 million dollars which is essentially kind of a slap on the wrist. Cause at the time he was worth roughly 15 million. Yeah. I'm sure his net worth was probably more than that. Um, and so I don't know, I did check up, you know, those net worth websites, which I don't, there's not a lot of the times they're totally wrong, but they said he's still to this day is worth around 4 million. I would assume that legal fees paying his lawyers and whatnot, but I mean, this guy it just doesn't, he can be out in six years, and he still has a decent amount of money after everything. It's just like, how is he not charged with like
0: child, like being a child rapist? Like it's it lack of evidence. Cause it's like, yeah, it's crazy to me. Cause that's obviously what's going on, but they're only able to hit him with, you know, traveling in interstate commerce to engage in unlawful commercial sex acts with minors. Like it's the, the, charges should be way more severe i feel like than what what he even got based on what he actually did and obviously rochelle would know better than anybody what he did right so it's like the fact that that's all they were able to come up with is is shocking to me because he's clearly guilty of far more than that which which kind of brings up the whole this whole conversation of are is the punishment adequate for child predators like is there if if we increase the severity of the punishment are we able to combat this the seemingly epidemic in our country and one particular state obviously probably one of the most controversial states in in the entire United States is Florida of course and their governor uh, Ron DeSantis just uh, pushed through a, a law um, which I'm gonna have Daniel speak on the specifics of it but Basically, if you, I believe it's if you are a child rapist, I believe, but it might extend to all forms of, of, you know, sexual acts with a minor or a child, they can try to pursue the death penalty. Is that, is that accurate or is there, did I get that? Am I on the right track with that?
1: You're on the right track with that. Um, according to the New York Post, the new law, which goes into effect October 1st, allows the Sunshine State to seek capital punishment when an adult is convicted of sexual battery of a child under 12. Under 12. Okay. Everybody's got their
0: own opinion, obviously, on on the death penalty, but I think, I, I like that, honestly. I, I think that, like, there should be no, it's it's one of the absolute worst things you can do. Like, if you're going to, if, you're going to commit a crime. That is one of the worst that you can do Yeah, is, is take advantage of a child like that, especially a child, any child. And,
2: you know, some might think death penalty is harsh on that, but yeah, I, I you know me, I'm not, I'm pretty against death penalty for X, Y, and Z reasons we, yeah. we've talked about, but I think I'm more, this is a controversial uh, take, I think, but, the i'm more for chemical castration i think really if we're literally getting to the root of the problem with pedophilia um take away the urge that would even get to that point i think would be a kind of a punishment is that something
0: still done today yeah i don't think
2: do any states still do that i don't think any states do chemical castration um I mean that has also the history of chemical castration is very controversial because we used to just do that to uh gay people you know yeah, it was just right. like really horrific shit Well is that is and that a more just to sterilize like um mentally uh, uh, we we would just be like oh you're in an insane asylum let's castrate yeah, you and right. things like that
0: I feel like that's almost more like if you want to talk about like what's humane and what's inhumane that to me is almost more inhumane than just you know giving somebody a lethal injection you
3: think so yeah
0: Yeah. in a way but i don't know it's one of those that is really hard to form a, a solid opinion on and obviously like you would expect there be serious evidence to pursue a death penalty on somebody that yeah. actually did that but I do appreciate the motivation behind it to protect children more seriously than than we have because it is such a major problem across the world. And if people who do this see that it's just a slap on the wrist or, you know, you serve a little time, you register on the sex offender list and that's it. That's the extent of it. Like, you know, does, is that really going to stop them from, you know, continuing to hurt children in my mind no prison isn't a great deterrent in my opinion anymore for people like especially people who've been in and out of prison before it's not like as as i guess scary to them as potentially losing your life over if i do this and i get caught i could potentially be you know lethally injected and that's the end it's one of those very controversial things out there and a lot of you know obviously a lot of people talk bad about florida and you know and i'm not and i'm not a it's not like i'm a fan of Ron DeSantis by any means but that particular law i think sends a message and i think we're kind of in a state of where we need something like that in some with some issues right to hopefully cur and will it do anything i don't know i mean it hasn't gone into effect yet so it may may not change anything but i think it's a start because i think it's important to protect the most vulnerable and that's that's children right i mean i i think too your opinion changes when you become a parent too i hate to like pull that card yep, but, it, well, but i'm it's, out of this conversation <laughs> yeah well it's like i mean it, it it's hard to look at it you you do change like you when you become a parent, you're my. you are like, I would do anything to protect my child. And if there was ever somebody that did tried to do that, or did do that to my child, I would full, fully pursue death for that individual. For sure. Yeah. Because the damage that they did to my child, my child will never be able to fully recover from. And I think that's, that's the most difficult thing of it is it impacts a child for life. And, obviously with therapy and, and whatever else, you can work through it and, and deal with it, but it never, that, that trauma never goes away. And I just don't think there's, I don't think there's a punishment that equates that kind of damage other than that person either being locked away forever or given the death penalty. And unfortunately, as we see, these predators get slaps on the wrist most of the time and they're back out in the public
2: yeah i think we could both agree on that there's clearly n- not enough
0: done no yeah. there's
2: not there's not enough done to protect children and
0: especially protect children online and and it's it's a scary world man it's definitely like one of the things that i i think about a lot is is we're in such a technological age too where are all like everything is at your fingertips and you can you could talk to anybody online like the internet's a blessing and a curse and it seems like every day it's becoming more of a curse than it is a blessing anymore of like it used to you know be like oh it's connected the world and it's done all these great things but at the same time it's it's also given evil a lot of power in in my opinion for sure and so yeah i guess that's my thoughts on it. i could go on and on but at the end of the day jared fogle got very lucky with the deal he got and he deserves way way more than 13 or 15 years
2: yeah
1: to circle back to austin talking about uh chemical castration mm-hmm. it still is a thing really um two states predominantly california and florida permit convicted sex offenders to be injected with i'm not going to try to pronounce the names of these chemicals but it's chemical castration chemical wow and california california, california and that's florida surprising. and then yeah. texas also permits surgical castration of offenders wow, wow. so like full-on physical removal mm-hmm. wow that started in 1997 and i mean it's very rare uh in i was like how often are they actually doing this in like yeah. an eight span of eight years there was three people
0: oh wow So yeah. it's like, very
1: rare and then in 2019 alabama became the latest state to adopt a mandatory chemical castration law uh, this law forces adult sex offenders whose victims were twelve or younger to begin the treatment at least a month before getting released on parole, and to continue until a court determines that they can stop.
2: I mean, I'm I, I know it's seen as inhumane, but I'm on board because I think that really just gets to the root of the issue. And I think it if it was more normalized, we could even do programs to where it's like, if I'm having these thoughts about children, we have we provide these state-run clinics to be like, go get yourself taken care of castrate yourself it's it might just lead to the protection of way more people i just don't think people are going to willingly do that yeah you and don't, i don't some, think we should ever that i think, I, normalize I, think I would i think i would i don't know maybe that's just me
0: i just wonder what the link is though like are they is there scientific evidence that backs
2: up castrating yourself like would affect your thoughts on that well we do know that also a part of like pedophilia and sexual assault it's also about power it's not right that's what i'm saying is it's not just like
0: i don't know that it's like a surefire fix for this issue i guess is what i'm saying and i I think it it might work for some but i feel like some it may not yeah and you know I, i think there's a lot of ways i think it's a more complicated issue than than we even understand and I see what definitely, you're yeah. and because it's like if it if that was like you would think if that was the surefire fix like why the hell would it not be everywhere and like like a mandatory thing like you said or uh, even just readily
2: available. right? Well, I think it's that- because it has a history of being abused and misused and it's like marginalized people have been more affected by it. So that's why we were like, we have to get rid of this completely. It's just like we always
0: swing from like one extreme to the other, right? Yeah. We we swing this way and then the government's like, oh, you know, that's too much. So that's just, that's inhumane. So we swing back this way. We're never able to kind of find the right, the right middle ground. I mean, I'm speaking to the choir on basically every issue in our, our world is like (laughs) extreme to extreme. And, you know, if we could just fall somewhere in the middle, you know, maybe things would, would work a little bit better. But yeah, it's. I don't know. I'm curious. I'm curious to see what 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 you out there as a listener viewer think about this this conversation because it's obviously very controversial, very tough one to 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 really think about in detail, especially and figure out where you stand on the issue. But I'm I'm curious because obviously everybody's kind of got their own opinion, and you bring your own biases to the to the table when you talk about this stuff. But I'm curious to see what. What, what you think about it out there. But following the trial, it was discovered that Rochelle wasn't the only girlfriend of Jared's who knew about his seedy behavior and actually tried to report it. Jared had been sleeping with a woman named Cindy Mills, a Subway franchise owner years before. They met at the grand opening of one of her stores in 2008 and they quickly began having a sexual relationship. It wasn't long before he asked her to do uncomfortable things. In a series of texts, he told her to post herself on Craigslist and have sex with as many men as she could while he watched. He offered to pay her $500 for every man she slept with. When he mentioned Craigslist, she asked if that was the website he had used to pay a 16-year-old girl to have sex with him. He responded, it was amazing. Basically insinuating that Craigslist was a place for child sex trafficking, which doesn't surprise me at all. Later, he asked if Cindy would hook him up with her underage cousin and if she would be interested in a three-way. He kept pushing her towards going along with his pedophilia, but she eventually reported him to Subway management. In her email, she attached all the messages as proof. After this, she met with two levels of management and one told her that since Jared wasn't technically an employee of Subway, he was a spokesman, so basically there's technically no violation. The other promised her that Jared would no longer be allowed at her own franchise. Cindy then told them Jared shouldn't be allowed to interact with young people. Even though subway management agreed, they did nothing. Cindy then went all the way up the ladder and tried to contact the subway CEO, Jeff Moody. She claimed she told him that Jared had slept with a nine-year-old child. Supposedly, Jeff told her not to worry about it because Jared had just started to date his future wife, Kathleen, at the time. And Jeff believed this relationship would keep Jared grounded. He later said there was nothing that implied any sexual behavior about Jared Fogle, and when this later came out to the public, Subway denied Cindy's claims. They did confirm she submitted the official complaint, but she never went to the police. Apparently back in 2004, the senior vice president of marketing at Subway also received a complaint about Jared. The complaint said Jared had tried to solicit a minor at a Las Vegas promo event. Other reports suggest that Subway management was notified at least three different times about Jared's behavior over the course of his career, but did nothing. They still used Jared for their commercials, but didn't use him as much after these complaints came forward it's unclear if this is a coincidence or not this was around the time that they introduced subway's famous five dollar foot long marketing i
2: wonder if they if that was a strategized move or if that's coincidence or what but a pretty clear indication that subway knew what what
0: well it's like they they knew that their they'd have to completely change their marketing strategy and if they wanted to keep up the the profits that they were making they'd have to get creative yeah and like in my mind um it's it was a, you know thinking about when events like this happen nowadays like it's very public and companies cut ties like immediately like as soon as like even if there's an, it's not even investigated yeah. it's just an allegation companies don't even like Take the chance of of it being Having, true and just cut ties with people immediately. Yeah, I'm trying to think of recent examples
2: of that. Um, for some reason, none are coming to my head. I mean, well, I mean, I mean uh, Kanye and Adidas, right? Yeah, they, they were just right? like, deals over. But supposedly, they're now selling his stuff again. But they promised to donate some to charity yeah. or some shit like that. I don't know. But yeah, that's kind of a good example of just oh, a problematic done.
0: Yeah, I know. There's been influencers and and youtubers out there who have who've have had ties cut with major brands due to statements they've made and things like that and now now companies i mean now it's like if a complaint comes in from somebody to a brand that they're working with an influencer sometimes they'll even just end the the deal they have with that influencer over that one person's complaint yeah so it's just like if they or if they get flooded with like hey this is what's going on and even though it's not been
2: substantiated it's just a you know alleged claim like they'll yeah i guess just, my example doesn't even track with that because kanye was just like saying yeah crazy like you i mean he it wasn't said it even, publicly yeah on, it wasn't even George allegations yeah, yeah. so yeah. that doesn't even but yeah there are definitely examples out there just can't think of any
0: i mean there's obviously tons of actors and stuff that no longer have careers i'm thinking like james franco and stuff like that where uh, it was yeah. like before you know the, the claims had been like fully investigated. everything like people are cutting ties with with him on on different deals that he had and i mean there's so many others so it's like i wonder i'm sure subway would have handled it differently now now yeah. than in you know you, you know was it five ten years ago where you know they were they were he was such a huge part of, i mean i think it was also he was just such a huge part of their success that it was a is a difficult decision to make which it shouldn't be but for them you know it's profits over everything right yep. so they're gonna do what's best for the, the shareholders and, and as the is the way in, right
2: yep. yeah his ex-wife kathleen later sued subway in 2016 claiming that they knew Jared was a pedophile since 2004. Wow. But did nothing because they wanted to protect the company's reputation.
0: If that's true. Yeah. Subway is canceled. Right. Honestly,
2: 2004. Like, come on. Uh, Kathleen claims that they had willingly put children in danger because they were more worried about making money. They're sending him on all those
0: tours. Yeah, yeah, they were in events and
2: promo events where children are there, and he's speaking at middle schools. Yeah, I mean the
0: the fact that a child predator is touring the country, visiting middle schools, and hanging out with children,
2: and Subway sponsoring that—that is yeah and he, even if they were like oh well those his work with the foundation also did the touring it's like yeah but he wouldn't even have that foundation if it weren't for his stardom through subway we all know this hinges on the subway, subway could yeah. have took him down way sooner yeah and they didn't yep especially if
0: everything that kathleen's alleging is true
2: yep Um, She also claimed that the lawsuit was for invasion of privacy and intentional infliction of emotional distress. A judge later dismissed the lawsuit for, quote, lack of personal jurisdiction in October 2017 because she had filed the lawsuit in Connecticut, which confused me at first. Then I looked into it. Neither Kathleen or the defendant, which is Subway in this case, were located in the state. They didn't have, like, headquarters there. So I was like, why did she file it in Connecticut? Supposedly, she filed it because in Connecticut, the courts more often benefit the plaintiff in cases of negligence, so it was kind of just a strategic move, but it ended up backfiring. As years
0: passed, Angela Baldwin's daughters, which were Russell Taylor's stepdaughters, Christian and Hannah, have since opened up about their mother and stepfather. Hannah was 10 and Christian was 13 when they first met Russell. After he married their mother, they watched as Angela changed from a strict mother into a party animal, to the point where they couldn't even recognize her. She used to be strict and take them to church every week. But after the marriage to Russell, she started giving them weed and alcohol and let them party in the house. They really just let them live like adults. And they often told the girls age is just a number. As months passed, their mom opened up about her strange sexual behavior. And she even began telling her daughters about sexually explicit details involving their stepdad. Over time, Russell and Angela groomed both of their children. And it got to the point where Russell would ask them to watch porn. He'd even leave dildos on their beds in front of open laptops and he tried to get them to talk about their sexual explorations. At one point, he took his two stepdaughters and their underage friend to Jared's house and Jared later texted Russell talking about how attracted he was to their friend and asked if he could have sex with her. After the investigations had opened up, Christian and Hannah had to identify themselves and their closest friends in hundreds of pictures and videos. The FBI also showed them text messages where their mother talked about wanting to have sex with them and wanted to watch Russell having sex with them as well. Today, they're still coming to terms with everything that had happened. But Russell Taylor was first convicted in 2015, but his charges were overturned in 2020 because his original defense lawyer was proved to be ineffective. He was later retried and pled guilty in 2021. And in May, 2022, he was sentenced to 27 years in prison on 12 counts of sexual exploitation of a child and one count of distribution of child pornography. Some reports claim that his youngest victims were between six or nine years old. It was later reported that after he was first arrested, he worked with law enforcement to help build the case against Jared. He was also sentenced to a lifetime of supervised release and must register as a sex offender. As for his wife, Angela, she pleaded not guilty and went to trial in October 2021. She was convicted of two counts of production of child sexual abuse material, one count of conspiracy to produce child sexual abuse material, And one count of possession of child sexual abuse material. She was sentenced to 33 years and four months in prison. So, how the hell did Jared get such a good
2: deal? Like, I agree the mother should have been, you know, gotten decades and decades, but it's just when you put that up against Jared's sentencing, it it doesn't make sense. It almost seems like
0: Jared's status helped him out. Yep. And he probably had really good lawyers, I can imagine. Yep. Best of the best. As for Jared, his sentence was upheld in 2016 after he tried to appeal it. He tried to claim he was a sovereign citizen, but his request was denied. Okay, dude. (laughs) Literally swinging for the fences there. Some claim his time in prison has been pretty easy. Most believe pedophiles are constantly attacked in prison, but some sources say Jared has rarely been assaulted. Others have claimed he's been constantly assaulted after first arriving in Englewood Prison uh, here in Colorado. Right when he got there, the other prisoners began chanting, Fuck Jared! His injuries included a bloody nose, facial bruising, and neck abrasions after he was jumped in the prison yard. Supposedly, he was assaulted so often that the prison warden had to initiate a prison-wide mandate to get the other inmates to stop assaulting Jared. A fellow inmate, Mark Brooks, told a different tale. He served eight months in the low-security federal correctional institution where Jared was later held. In February 2019, Mark said Jared was living the life in there. He's eating good, working out, cooking not a care in the world. Supposedly, he's watching movies, making crafts, and cooking himself fancy meals. He's also enrolled in self-improvement programs and classes. But in 2021, Jared later responded by letter for the first time while in prison, saying that he was not taking cooking classes or eating fancy foods. COVID protocols had limited the programs in the prison, but he did confirm he ran four to five miles every day, saying that he was in the best shape of his life. Here's a picture of what he looks like now. It looks like he's lost even more weight jogging around the prison track he also admitted he watched sports on tv and read the new york times and historical fiction books daily then he confessed he royally screwed up and was completely selfish he looks forward to being released and restarting his life supposedly jared also had several relationships while in prison multiple women have called him on the regular and have spoken to him sexually which i'll never understand that several of these phone calls have been released and in these calls, Jared has asked them to send sexual pictures to him. So is he really rehabilitating there in prison? Sure doesn't seem like it. But he's still being held as of today in the FCI Inglewood prison in Colorado, and after everything he's done, Jared Fogle might be released as early as March twenty fourth, twenty twenty nine. And I beer for that day because I don't think he's changed at all. I think he's just abiding his time and as soon as he's out, he's gonna I think he's
2: gonna go back to it. Yeah. I don't think you change if when you're like this. I just think there's you're you're in too deep, you're locked in. The fact that he's then like you're saying, swing for the fences, claiming that he's just a sovereign shows, yeah. citizen. He's like just desperate to get out and go back to whatever he was doing, you know? Yeah, it's just I can't believe that Russell and Angela are serving a
0: double the length of time that and Jared is you know kind of the instigator of all of it in a way i mean he brought him in and you know had russell call him daddy and everything. i mean he really like he asked them to to get content from him. i mean it's just crazy that sort of this ringleader is gonna be out yeah that's and, that's it's just terrifying to me honestly
2: and i think one of the most damning things was right after russell was caught and arrested, like. Jared's immediately like, how do I cut a deal? I've given this guy so much. He's like, it's a, like a mobster. Like,
0: I can't believe that after learning all these things that he's trying to pay off people and stuff like that, that they, I mean, I guess it comes back. I mean, well, the charges, they couldn't carry higher prison sentences. So it's just like, it's crazy that they were even gave him a plea deal in the first place. That was so good.
2: I think it was just a purely lack of evidence because I, I guess it is like, yeah, you find, you know, the actual child porn at, at their home in their residence. But then it's like, I think that's why the FBI was trying so hard over the years to get him to cross state lines and catch him in the act because maybe over those years, they realized they just didn't have enough. And since he's such a high profile figure, they like were desperate, desperately wanting to find something big on him and maybe they just never got to
0: it yeah imagine if they were able to use rochelle's recordings though yeah would that have helped you know if it had happened to be in a one-party consent state like because yeah i can't even imagine what he was saying in those and i mean i don't know you know saying things is one thing versus catching somebody doing it but yeah it's like i just worry that now he's learned nothing and he's if anything, he's learned how to now, now not get caught. Yeah. And how to keep it, you know, closer to him where he's, you know, he's not having people building cases against him. But also, I mean, it seems like he's probably still got significant wealth, that I can imagine. Like he's gotta pay like one point four million and plus legal fees that he, he had to pay to for his case and stuff, but like I'm sure he's I'm sure he's not broke. Coming out of prison, so it's like it's almost like he's just looking forward to getting back to his old life again. Yeah. You know, it's just I. I've, my biggest thing is I just can't even imagine what his victims must think about this, like and, and Rochelle and those that like know about the things that he did, thinking that wow this monster is going to get out, it's just it's got to be. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine if it was my child that this monster had had done this to her and knowing that he's going to be free again is just beyond me it's it's sickening the guy the guy deserves to rot rot in prison for the rest of his life or worse but yeah that is the very disturbing rise and fall of jared fogle the subway star and it definitely makes you think twice about supporting subway for i know for me i'm like i'm not to want to give subway another dime of my money ever again yeah with that being said we're gonna go ahead and wrap up today's episode there let us know your thoughts if you're watching on youtube uh, or if you're listening somewhere else go let us know on instagram and we're also on tiktok as well but yeah check out the new cryptic collection it's milehiremerch.com get it while you can once it's out it's gone forever but we will see you guys next week and until then lights out everybody